Work it just a little bit. I was in this moment of just sheerly laid out on the ground, like nothing left to lose, nothing left to give, praying and asking like, what, what do I need to do? But also knowing that what I needed to do was to let go of this control. Welcome to the Reclaiming Purpose podcast with me, your girl, your hostess with the mostest, and the founder of You Are Into It, Dana Lisa. Join me weekly here for wisdom drops on all things intuition. My methodology is the D3 method, and it teaches you how to discover your own joy GPS and reclaim your intuition, then decondition old people-pleasing or analysis paralysis so that you can transform on a belief level in your unconscious mind. And lastly, how to take deliberate aligned action and find liberation and fulfillment in all aspects of your life, including relationships, love, money, and career. My process uses a blend of human design, neuro-linguistic programming, and my own intuitive gifts to help you in reclaiming purpose in your life. Hello, hello, my beautiful humans. Welcome back to Reclaiming Purpose. Ah, oh, it's a Dana Diary episode. And I'll be honest, I mean, <laughs> I obviously put together the Dana Diary series and this particular type of segment because I want to build a relationship with you guys. I, I want you to get to know who I really am and parts of my personal story because, you know, I truly believe it's one thing to be teaching this kind of stuff, but in order to really attract the people who are meant to be here doing it with me, I have to really share my human experience. And so that's really what the Dana Diary segment is all about, is my ability to share this experience of me trusting my intuition, learning how to grow into my faith with that inner guidance and really using it as a compass in my life in order to get to where I am now. However, there is a selfish component (laughs) because I love recording these episodes. It allows me to really reflect on where I have been and where I am now and where I'm going. And it really is kind of a recalibration for me, something that allows me to sink into the story that I've created. And I'm a self-projected projector. And if you're familiar with human design, and if you aren't, the self-projected projector is someone whose inner authority is their G-center or essentially their ego. And for myself, the way that I have learned to tap into this and use that particular component of my inner guidance is talking out loud to myself about myself and my story and what it is that I want, and then kind of listening back to the intonation of my voice, the way that I talk about certain things. It's really what allows me to get clarity. It's really what shows me what is truth and what might be foggy and coming from a place of overanalysis. So doing these episodes really allows me that calibration and I get excited. (laughs) I get excited to talk about my personal story with you guys for many different reasons. And yeah, 
I just wanted to share that with you (laughs) because I was reflecting on it as I came into recording this episode. And today, it's kind of funny, I, I had this intention this morning. I was quite in a mood, honestly. This morning, I was quite in a mood. I've been feeling sad these last couple of days. I've been feeling quite emotional. And I'm recording this at the time of the full moon in Aries. And I've just been feeling really like this need for release, this need for release around a couple things that have hindered me from trusting my intuition in the past and really stopped me from being in my fullest potential. And one of those things is just this need to be seen, but to be seen a certain way. So as a projector, and I I tell this to all my fellow projectors, like, recognition really is the invitation. When someone recognizes us for our gifts and for who we are, it is naturally an invitation. And so we crave it. We crave that recognition and we crave to be seen and we crave to be held in all our ups and downs because it really gives us what we're naturally meant to use as our strategy, which is the invitation And so it really allows us to lean in. When we get seen, when we get recognized, it feels so freaking good and it allows us to lean in. So I used to have a crazy attachment to the how when it came to being seen. And I think this happens for a lot of people, not just projectors, but there's this desire to be seen a certain way as a certain type of person because we believe that if we're going to be seen that way, that means we'll be seen as successful. And if we're seen as successful, we'll become successful. So we kind of put on a show of who we think we need to be rather than fully express who we really are. And this was extremely true for me. I used to be a people pleaser, a chameleon. I kind of wore masks for all the different roles in my life like the perfect daughter, the perfect spouse, the perfect student, all of these, the perfect employee, like I had really all of these different kind of ideas of the projections of what those things meant in my mind. And I would try to fill those roles in the way that I thought was going to be likable to others versus showing up in those roles as the truth of who I really am. This is something I see again and again of overachievers, ex-people pleasers, people who, you know, were basically adapting to survive, adapting in order to thrive through getting that likability, like being whatever other people needed us to be in order to get that likability, which in turn gave us support. And so we felt like loved and supported and accepted by our community. And so I've kind of been looking at where in my life I'm still holding on to that need for likability versus fully expressing myself. And on this full moon cycle, that was really a theme for me, was looking at, okay, where am I still needing to be seen a certain way or like perceiving people's reaction or response to me? as meaning they like me or they don't, and what does it mean to release all of that and simply just show up as who I am and be, rather than feeling a need to do anything. So today, this morning, 
I was just really feeling it, feeling my feels, feeling very emotional. Like I just, you know, when you really need a good cry and you just want to like turn on a sad movie, like P.S. I Love You or something and sob your eyes out for a couple of hours just to like get that release. That's really how I've been feeling. And yesterday I did. I had like a really good cry, not for any particular reason, but just because I felt all of this pent up emotion. And I find when I go through old trauma release, which I've been working on a lot, like even physically releasing trauma in my body, I've been doing Tantra with my partner with the sole focus of releasing trauma and being on a healing journey. And as I go on this journey of like, doing body work to heal in addition to all of this mindset work that I've been doing for the past few years and all of this spiritual development I've been doing the past few years, the more I find that I'm just so much more kind with myself when it comes to moving energy and when it comes to releasing whatever is there and like seeing it and feeling it without judgment, I used to really get upset with myself. I would like, it was like, Not only was I sad, but I was also mad that I was sad because I shouldn't be sad because I should be enjoying this moment, right? Like I'd have this story in my head of like, you should be happy right now. Everything is great. So like judge yourself extra for feeling sad so that you can try to change it. But then you're even like, you're not dealing with the sadness. You're just mad about the sadness. So then you're experiencing even more negative emotion and it's like compounded and it's like, what the heck is this? I used to do that all the time. I would just like not want to acknowledge the sadness. I'd be mad at myself for feeling it and I would try to move it from this place of anger. But then I would have like resentment and I would project and blame my emotion on other people. And it was just like, blah, like really lame. (laughs) So I've learned that the more that I'm able to just have kindness and grace with myself, And really allow myself to not judge whatever is coming up for me, but just to sit with it, sit in it, not try to overanalyze it or fix it or solve it, which is very much a masculine energy of like, there needs to be a solution. And just allowing myself to be in my feminine of feeling and being and sitting in whatever is there and allowing it to move without judging it or trying to overanalyze it. The so much more quickly I'm capable of coming back to a place of feeling like myself. And that's been so powerful for me. So I just wanted to share that because I feel like a lot of people who are listening are probably going through, you know, the effect of like the compounding of emotion where it's like I'm mad at myself for being sad and I'm not even going to give myself the kindness or the grace to release this emotion. And so they just like store or suppress the sadness. And I feel like this is one of the biggest blocks that held me back from my intuition for a really long time because I was so muddled in my mind, body, and spirit trying to suppress or repress these experiences of emotion that I was having and trying to intellectualize them and overanalyze them that I almost disconnected from my body. And when we're disconnected from our body, it's really hard to tap into that inner guidance system because we are living in our brain. We're so disconnected from the energy system that is our entire being that we almost turn it off and there's like a neurological disconnect. It's like in our nervous system 
we disconnect because we store trauma in parts of our body. And this is like a little bit of the science behind it. I'm not an expert in this, but my understanding is that when we experience trauma, we store it in a particular part of our body. For women, a lot of the times it's in our reproductive organs. We actually store trauma there and we disconnect. Our nervous system actually um, basically closes off the connection between our mind and that part of our body in order to basically save us from the experience of that trauma or that pain. And when we're really disconnected like this, it's so common for us to just fully be in our masculine and and really living from this critical place of overanalysis of our life and our emotion and our experience, feeling really disconnected from the truth of our intuition and our energy system, the inherent in energy system that we all have inside of us. And it can be really easy to be living from a place of conditioning where we're really reactive to the emotional environment. We're really reactive to the environment around us, not to the emotional environment, but we're really like in survival mode. Like it's constant fight or flight, like something happens and then we react from this place of fear of trying to protect ourselves. I actually, this morning, because I was feeling so emotional and just really reactive, I decided I wanted to like go sit at a cafe by myself and do some inner work. And I got to this cafe. And as I walked in, I saw this table in the corner that looked really comfy. So I skedaddled over there. And as I was sitting down, I noticed that this man had followed me and he was like, oh, are you expecting people? And I had this instant like defense because I was really feeling reactive. My in- my instant response was like, no, but like, please don't sit with me. Like it was like, I felt this like wall, like this barrier to entry. I could feel like the fortress walls (laughs) that I had built around me trying to protect my fragile state of being. And then I was able to respond. I was able to like, be like, no, actually I'm not. And if you'd like to sit with me, please go ahead. And really from this place of like, this is happening for you. This isn't happening to you. This isn't going to be a negative experience regardless of what the outcome is. Like just be present. And I ended up having like a three hour conversation with this person and he was really cool. We like shared a lot of stories, kind of talked about some different esoteric concepts about the world about the energetics of what's going on globally right now. Like we just had this really beautiful, easy, flowy conversation and it felt like exactly what I needed. It felt like this like human connection with someone besides, you know, Luke, who I talk to every day, just like being able to get a fresh perspective and being able to like reconnect with another human. It felt like something that I was kind of missing. And he told me this really cool story really cool story that I was excited to share with you guys today. So we were talking about intuition because he was telling me his own story about recently letting go of a relationship and letting go of a lot of comforts of where he was in the world during this tumultuous time. He was in this really safe place with a lot of safety nets. Everything was really like good on paper. Everything looked really, really freaking good. But he knew that there was like something wasn't right. He knew in his body, he was like, like, I don't know, this isn't really where I want to be. Like his life was going down this trajectory where, you know, he was engaged to this woman, but she was really like 
scared and and constantly like reactive and he was just feeling really like safe and comfortable but not fulfilled he was like everything's nice and good but like something feels off and he was talking to a lot of people like he started seeking out advice and he was talking to a lot of people in his life and he noticed that everyone that he talked to were people that weren't where he was going And so, of course, their opinion was like, you shouldn't go, you should stay, you should like take advantage of this comfort, this safety, like you've got everything you need here, don't go anywhere. And he had to have this almost like come to Jesus moment where it was like, am I, am I wanting to just like logically justify what I already know to be true? And this is really, really common for us when we get an intuitive hit the immediate reaction that we have is if it mismatches what our logic is telling us to do, we try to make these things congruent. So we'll start seeking out advice from the people in our life that we love and care about their opinion. We'll start seeking out advice from them. But oftentimes we are looking for them to validate the intuitive hit that we already had. So we're looking to be able to analytically justify what we want to do and what we know is the right path. And he made a really good point. He was saying, you know, oftentimes even the bad advice is good advice because it just solidifies what we don't want. And I was, I made the argument. I was like, well, you know, from another perspective, All advice is bad advice unless it's from someone who is where you're going. Because essentially what you're looking for is for somebody to validate either your worst fears or the truth of your intuition, what it's already told you to do. And oftentimes when we look for advice, we're looking for somebody to like tell us that what we want is okay. We're looking for that permission slip of like, yeah, you should do it. And what we get instead is people validating our worst fear. We get people being like, you know, you shouldn't do this. It's really bad. And all of our own fears and insecurities, if we haven't worked through them, they get revived and they're just there on the surface. And a lot of times it means that we don't take action on our intuition because we can't find the analytical justification that we're seeking through trying to get advice from the ones that we care about. And gosh, I used to do this so much, (laughs) so much. And my personal story around this that I wanted to share with you guys today is kind of like the catalyst moment that changed everything. Because most of my life, I sought out advice from other people. Like I wouldn't do something unless I could get somebody else to like back me up and tell me that it was a good idea. And a lot of times I would take what other people told me as like the facts and the truth. And I'd be like, oh, you know, like they said I shouldn't do it. They know better than me because of blah, blah, blah. And so I just won't. And I wouldn't follow my intuition. But I got to this point in my life where nothing made logical sense at all. (laughs) So I used to be in a seven-year relationship I was married previously. I'm only 29. However, I've already, you know, spent a good duration of my adult life in the same relationship with the same person. We were married. I was kind of in like random job after random job. I never really knew what I wanted. It was like 
me figuring out what my partner wanted and then supporting and empowering him to be that was like where my worth lied. That was really where I attached my worth. I myself didn't feel worthy of all my desires, so I often wouldn't even allow myself to dream big. Because of that, I was, you know, riding on the coattails, for lack of a better term, of my partner, just kind of like, oh, you want to move here and do this? Amazing. Oh, you want to like go do this? Awesome. I'll support you. And then doing whatever it felt like I needed to do to be worthy of being his partner. So, you know, supporting the household in some way, clean, making sure the house stayed clean, um, you know, supporting him through his emotional stuff, like suppressing my own emotions, whatever I needed to do to basically be a good partner. That was where a lot of my worth was tied to and meshed with. So I got to this point where we had moved to the Cayman Islands. I was still really unhappy, even though, you know, I'd run away from my problems again and again. Running away from my problems wasn't fixing anything. It didn't matter where I was, whether I was in Canada or on the beaches in the Caribbean. I was still experiencing anxiety. I was still experiencing deep, deep sadness and a lack of fulfillment that kept me questioning, you know, what is my purpose on this planet? Like, what am I meant to be doing? I had gone to school multiple times for multiple careers. I went to school for psychology right out of out of high school. I went directly into university for my major in psychology. And then after a few years of that, I decided to take a break um, for very personal reasons. I'd gone through a very traumatic experience. The person who was involved in that traumatic experience started attending the same school as me, which really led to a complete breakdown. I started seeing a counselor on campus and then I just couldn't get myself to go to school anymore. So I ended up taking a break from university. Then I ended up going back for business management. And then I had this like random gap year and I didn't want to do nothing during this gap year because to me, in my mind, if I wasn't doing something or achieving something, then I was useless. So in my mind, I'm like, I have to fill this year somehow before I go back to school for business. Like there are needs, I need to do something. And I had always been a really great cook and I decided I wanted to just randomly go to culinary school. So for this year, I went to culinary school. And when that was coming to completion is when my partner and I decided to move to the Cayman Islands. And I was so excited because in my mind, this was like, this is going to change everything. I'm finally going to be happy. I'm going to find my purpose. I'm going to be on the beaches of the Caribbean. So of course I'll be happy. How could you not be? And I was like, yep, let's go. We packed up, moved to the Caribbean. It was for his career. So he had a job right away. I did not. And when we got there, you know, most people would be like, oh, you were unemployed and like you could just enjoy the beach and like go read a book. I remember friends telling me like, oh my gosh, you must just be loving life, like reading a book on the beach and just like relaxing. But I wasn't like I was so stressed about finding a job because I felt like completely useless. And what I was so worried about was that people would see me for who I thought I was at my core, which was this like person riding on the coattails of my partner, because that was the shadow of my truth, was that I felt like I was this 
completely useless nincompoop who was riding on the coattails of my partner, who was completely useless and had no, like, profession of my own or fulfilling career of my own or any success of my own, that my partner was the only reason that anyone ever saw me as, like, successful or well-to-do. And that was, like, what I believed to be true about myself. And so my worst fear was that somebody else would see that, too. And so I was panicked and stressed out when we first got there, like trying to find a job. Oh my gosh, like not enjoying life at all. (laughs) Like every day, like was I on the beach? No, I was like walking around, handing out resumes, trying to get an interview. And the way that the economy and the government works there is that uh, basically a company has to sponsor you and pay for your work visa. So I was trying to get jobs in like the random service industry and I really wanted to like do counseling or do something, something fun, something useful. I was like, maybe I'll like be a server or whatever it is, or I'll be a counselor, anything. I honestly would have taken anything, but I ended up being like, oh, well, I have my culinary diploma and like this gives me basically like a leg up because I'm only going to get a position that a local person can't fill, rightfully so. And I have a degree in culinary, which not every local person is going to have. So I ended up working in a kitchen. And it was terrible, guys. <laughs> it was the worst job I've ever had. And I've had some pretty shitty jobs. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I've had some rough ones. Like, I worked at Tim Hortons, like, in the fast food industry, baking donuts and, like, making coffees and, like, hustling. I worked at Costco, which is actually one of the better jobs I had. I lasted at this one for six years. However, like, that's a very physical job and, you know, it wasn't my career of choice. I worked as a paper girl. I worked at a tanning salon. Like, I've had some – I worked at a coffee shop. Like, oh my gosh. I've had some really – Bad jobs. Retail, in the mall. Oh, that one was pretty rough. Not going to lie. But this one took the cake. (laughs) I was so exhausted every day. Like, I was on my feet 12 hours a day in really, like, bad shoes on cement floors. Like, my back hurt all the time. I gained a bunch of weight because I was super stressed out. The manager was oh my gosh, a complete narcissist. And everyone felt like they were walking on eggshells all the time. She was super manipulative. I remember this one time we were only working only nine hour days, six days a week. And one day I came in and everyone's schedule had randomly been changed to 11 hours a day. And I was like, what is this? Like, why are we working 11 hours a day? It's slow season like this. Like, we're not doing anything. I don't understand. And I remember asking my manager, like, why is everyone's shifts changed to 11 hours? And she was like, oh, because, you know, the boss, the owner of the restaurant said that, like, that's what he wanted. And so, like, if you need to, if, like, you need to, you can talk to him about it. But I don't really know. I'm like, you don't know why he did it? And she's like, no, I don't know. And I was like, what the heck? Like, this is so weird. And so then the boss, who was worse than the manager, came in one day and he was like walking through the kitchen and I was like, um, excuse me, like, I just want to know like why we're all, all our shifts got changed to 11 hours a day. Like, is something going on? And he like whirled, whirled around like 360, like whipped around and was like, 
what the fuck is your problem? And I was like, what? I was like, I don't have a problem. Like, I'm just wondering why. And he was like, because none of you actually work your full shifts. And he just started going off about what terrible employees everyone was. And I was like, what? Like, these people work their butts off for you. Like, we're understaffed. We're working ridiculous hours. None of us are getting paid overtime. And like, I was so confused. I was like, what is going on? And then he like just stormed off and I was just left there with my mouth hanging open. I was like, what, what just happened? And then my sneaky little manager like came around the corner. She'd been listening to the whole thing. She'd basically been waiting for me to confront him, come to find out later. Other employees told me she'd basically been waiting for me to confront him. And she was like, you shouldn't have confronted him like that in front of the staff. Like, that was really rude and that was disrespectful. And I was like, what? I was like, I'm just looking for answers. I'm being respectful. Like, I'm just wondering why I'm working so such obscene hours for no reason. Like, I'm just trying to understand if there's a good reason I can get behind that. Like, I get it. And... Oh, gosh, it was terrible. So that day when I was at the nine hours, because I'm such a rebel, <laughs> when I was at the nine hours for my shift, I was like, screw this, I'm leaving. So I like clocked out and I hugged everyone in the kitchen goodbye. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get fired. So like I'm saying goodbye, but like I can't, like I can't work in this environment. And I left and my friend was visiting from Canada at the time. And so her and I went, we bought some cocktails down the street and we're just like drinking and I'm telling her the story of what happened. And then I get this phone call from my manager and I answer the phone and she's like, how dare you just leave? What's wrong with you? Where are you? You need to come back right this instant. And I was like, no, I don't. And like, that wasn't okay. I'm not okay with being treated that way. And she was clearly being listened to by the boss and she was like stop laughing like you're you're being condescending like how dare you laugh at me and I was like I'm not laughing at you what are you talking about like I'm not laughing like is someone listening and you're trying to make them think that I'm like being like that I'm acting like that like I don't understand and then she hung up the phone on me and I was like oh my gosh and so the next day I was like do I even go into work like what do I do So I like brought my stuff and I was like, I'll either return the stuff because I'm fired or I'll like come into work. But this is how low my self-worth was. (laughs) Also, like, can we just talk about the fact that I even was willing to go back? So I went back and I ended up like having this conversation with both of them where they were like, oh my gosh, I don't even remember what they said, honestly, to convince me to go back. It's so mind blowing that I even was in this position and that I allowed myself to be put in this situation in the first place. But I, gosh, I ended up working there for another year. I had stress rashes all over my body. I gained 20 pounds because my cortisol was so high. I was stressed out all the time. I was having anxiety attacks, like basically once a week, I would go to the bathroom and have like a panic attack in the washroom at work. I was constantly walking on eggshells. I basically turned into a mute. I was afraid to talk to anyone. And like, if anyone... If you know me personally, I'm quite extroverted. I was afraid to talk to anyone because I was worried that like my words were going to get manipulated and used against me and like taken out of context. My boss was constantly having screaming matches with other members of the staff in the restaurant, like while clients were there, like while people were dining in the restaurant. I, and I'm an empath, so this was, like, really affected me, not to mention the tension in the air and, like, just how everyone else was extremely unhappy but felt trapped in their jobs. Oh, my gosh. It was terrible. And I remember having this, like, breakdown one day on my lunch. 
to my husband and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I, I don't know what to do. And he was like, well, like Dana, why are you staying in this job? Like, you don't have to stay here. Just quit. Like, you don't like, don't stay. Like, why are you doing this to yourself? And I look back on it now and I'm like, holy shit. Like I was doing that to myself because I believed that I wasn't even worthy of, of being in a marriage or being a partner or being loved or being supported unless I was doing something, unless I was contributing the way that I perceived other people thought that I needed to be contributing. And my worth was so associated with like overachieving and being a contributor and being a good partner that I was constantly putting myself on the back burner and literally self-sacrificing myself. (sighs) What a rough time. So I ended up going to see a therapist. I quit my job. My therapist diagnosed me with anxiety and depression, and she put me on medication. And this was my catalyst moment. Like, this was like the moment where I was like, you know what? I can't freaking live my life like this anymore. There's no way this is it. Because, like, not only was this medication numbing out my anxiety and my depression, but my anxiety, like, my anxiety and depression was like, okay, manageable, but every other experience, my experience of any sensations of love, of joy, of excitement, all of it was numb. It was like I was living on this autopilot numbness. And I remember being like, I can't be a zombie for the rest of my life. Like my life can't be so, so devastatingly unfulfilling that I have to medicate myself to be a zombie of numbness in order to live it. Like that cannot be my existence. (sighs) It's so sad, so sad to even think about that version of me, but I did it. So what I did is I was like, my, my doctor was like, you can't just randomly come off your medication. And like, I'm not recommending that anyone who is on medication for mental health stops taking their medication. This is a choice that I made for myself. It's not necessarily a safe or healthy choice. Probably wasn't even for me. But what I decided was to stop taking my medication. I remember flushing my pills down the toilet. I remember quitting my job and being like, I'm never going back to a job ever again. I remember being like, I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to figure this out. And I had no idea what journey I was going on at that point. Like, I was just jumping off the cliff. I was like, free falling. I have no idea what's going on, but I just know that like the existence I was living cannot be my life anymore and there's nothing to lose. So like, I'm going to figure this out. (laughs) And my life really started from there. And I mean, I started freelancing online. It was so hard. I just remember all of my worth being so tied up in my achievements that if things didn't grow at the rate that I thought they would, or if I felt any ounce of rejection, even if it was just someone giving me constructive criticism, I was like flatlined from it. And I really had to do so much work around my self-worth. I ended up getting employed again by a small business consulting firm, but like this was like dream job. Like I had done enough work that I manifested this job where they were like, you can come in whatever hours you want, like work from home if you want to, um, super lax, amazing chill bosses, like really cool work environment. I was doing work that I actually really enjoyed doing. I was doing their digital content strategy, which I really was digging. 
I loved the bosses. I actually became really close friends with one of them. And I remember one day, like, coming into work and saying to her, Trina, like, I'm just not happy. And she was like, I've been feeling that. I've been feeling that shift in you lately. Like, what's been going on? And I was like, I feel like I started this business. I started this journey of becoming an entrepreneur. And I started to kind of feel what fulfillment felt like. And then I put myself back in a position where I was working for someone again. And I like, I'm not fulfilled. Like, I, I'm meant to be helping women somehow. I'm meant to be like helping people with their mental health. I'm meant to be helping people discover fulfillment. And she was like, me too. Like, let's do this together, which was so cool. So we started women's empowerment retreats in the Cayman Islands called Soulscape Summits. And then we both went through divorces. Our lives completely changed and everything was just up in the air again. And this is when I started my consulting company. So I started this like consulting company (laughs) and I was teaching people digital strategy. Like basically I was like, you come, I'll look at your online business. I'll help you overhaul the strategy, the marketing strategy so that you can get more clients and like streamline your organic marketing. My agency was like, a we, like everything on the website was like, we blah, blah, blah. There was like no pictures of me. It was very much like agency style. It wasn't a personal brand at all. And I remember getting my first client. Her name is Jennifer Armstrong. And when she came to me, it was very much like, yep, I want the digital strategy. This is everything that I want. I love your like offer for the month. Let's do it. So Jen hires me for a month we start working together on her content strategy. And every time we had a one-on-one call, there was so much emotion she was moving through. And I held so much space for her. And at the end of the month, she was like, you're a coach. Like, you're not a consultant. You do so much more than digital strategy. You really need to explore the world of coaching. So I did. I started exploring the world of coaching, building a personal brand, teaching people about mindset, and just evolving my business. And her and I ended up working together another year. She's very successful now. She has a beautiful six-figure business that supports her as a, and her daughter as a single mom. And she's incredible. Like The things she's done are incredible. And I just also remember... Shortly after, I was going through my separation and I was in Canada. It was cold. I was in this basement suite and I had nothing. Like, I was having a really tough go with my relationship with my parents. They were taking my divorce really personally. Um, It was heartbreaking for them, understandably. I was really alone in a city where I didn't really have a lot of friends. I had my sister there. That was pretty much, and one of my good friends, Danny Drioso, but that was pretty much it. I didn't really have like a close friend group there because I had never lived there. I just happened to be there as I was supposed to be living there with my partner, but now we were going through our divorce. I had told him that I had cheated on him on this trip that I had gone on. And so I was just receiving like so much hate from his family. Understandably, they were really upset and angry with me. 
And just everything was like crumbling all around me. My business was not doing well. I had a couple hundred bucks in my bank account. I was really trying to like sell this course. I knew that I was not supposed to be where I was. I had this knowing like I am not supposed to be here. But I had no idea how I was going to get myself out of this position. I remember feeling really helpless. I remember feeling like, what do I do? What do I need to do to fix this? And I just remember really not knowing. And there was no like fixing it. There was no solution in sight. And for the first time in my life, I truly understood what it meant to surrender and co-create with the universe, with God. For the first time in my life, I really had to let go of control. The control my whole life that I had tried so hard to hang on to. The control my whole life that I had fought for because I was too scared to surrender. I felt like I was never going to be fully supported and that I was never going to be caught, that I was never going to be taken care of. The control that allowed me to feel like I just had some semblance of safety. And at this point, I had no choice. And I don't believe that this moment is necessary. I believe people can make this decision before they get here. But for me, I was in my rock bottom. I was in this moment of just sheerly laid out on the ground, like nothing left to lose, nothing left to give, praying and asking like, what what do I need to do? But also knowing that what I needed to do was to let go of this control. And I had a couple weeks until I needed to pay my rent. I had a couple hundred bucks in my bank account. I was eating, you know, bread and peanut butter (laughs) and instant coffee. And I had no money to pay the rent that was coming up, but I also didn't want to. I I was like, I don't want to pay that rent. I want to be out of here. I want to buy a one-way ticket. I want to get the heck out of here. And I want my life to just... I I want my life to change direction right now. Like, I don't want this. And I knew that. I knew that, like, that desire was so strong that it was greater than my fear. It was greater than my fear of what is going to happen? How is this going to work out? My desire was so strong that it outweighed all of the over-analysis. It outweighed all of the fear and all the what-ifs. And so I let go. I was finally able to let go for the first time in my life, truly let go and truly surrender and just say, whatever happens is meant to happen. I am supported. And I remember, even though I was trying to sell this course, I had this freelance client that I'd been, you know, doing $100 here, $100 there projects for. And she called me and she was like, you know, I want to, I want to retain you for this thing. Can we talk about it? And I remember thinking like, I don't have time for this. Like my old programming was like, I don't have time for this. I need to figure out a solution. Like I don't have time for like your $100 projects. Like I need to figure out my own business and my life. That was like my old programming screaming at me. Like, no, you need to fix this. (laughs) But my new programming from this state of surrender that I was working on integrating in that moment was like, this is happening for you allow this to happen. Even though you have no control over it and even though it's unexpected and it's not the plan that you had in your mind, 
there's something here for you. So what if you were to just let go and lean in? And so I did. I let go and I leaned in and I got on the phone with her and she had this huge project that was like a four-month project. And I was like, okay, I'm going to like, I called my friend Danny and I was like, I'm going to pitch this like five-figure offer. This is huge. I've never done anything like this before, but like what she wants, like I can't, I would be undervaluing it if I did it for any less. And Danny was like, you've got this. She supported me through it, empowered me through it, sent her the deal. We negotiated. She signed my five-figure contract, sent me a payment, and I bought my one-way ticket, and I paid for my Airbnb in Croatia, and I got the heck out of there. And that was really the first time in my life that I not only followed my intuition, but I let go of this element of needing to know the how, the human element of like, how is this going to happen? Like, okay, I know this is going to happen, my intuition. And this is one of the archetypes that I talk about, the intuit archetypes. I did an Instagram live on this the other day. The blog post will be up soon. But the analyzer is one of the intuit archetypes. And the, the intuit archetype of the analyzer, it's like they get the intuitive hit and then they immediately want to know the how of how it's going to happen. So they're instantly like, okay, this is what's going to happen, but how? Okay, what do I need to do? And they try to micromanage the miracle of receiving what it is that they know is coming their way. And in doing so, they basically cock block the miracle from coming because they miss it, even though it's right there, because they're so focused on trying to control the outcome. And this was me at that time. I was very embodied in my, my analyzer archetype. And I finally let go of that. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, this isn't working. And I finally started to understand the energetics of intuition in that moment, in that moment in the basement with $200 in my bank account. At my rock bottom, at my worst, I finally understood I have to let go of the control and the need to know how. And I have to trust in this knowing, this inner knowing. So... Where are you at right now? Are you trying to micromanage the how of the miracle? What do you know is meant for you and you're trying to control how it happens? And what if you were to let go and open yourself up to receiving it instead? I love you guys so much. I'll talk to you again really, really soon. Next week, I'll see you here on Reclaiming Purpose. All right, Intuits, that's all for this week, but I will catch you here on Reclaiming Purpose next week. And if you want more of this type of content, you can go check out the offers on youareintuit.com. The link is in the show notes. And for a chance to win a one-year subscription to all of our workshops and programs, go ahead and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so that we can enter you into our quarterly draw. I will talk to you guys so soon and have an amazing rest of your day wherever you are in the world.